Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Today I'm speaking with guest Professor Shlomo Dubnov from the University of California, San Diego. Uh, Shlomo directs the Center for Research and Entertainment and Learning, which puts him at the intersection of computer science and music. And so this is right where I want to be personally. So I enjoyed this conversation quite a lot. Uh, and let's get into it. Could you start us off by just telling us about your coffee habits a little bit to give us a sense of your personality? Well, it was just something we discussed uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm not strong in coffee. So, uh, but keeping with the tradition, I understand a lot of podcasts. Uh, well, mostly drink coffee, right? I mean, need it. So uh, consuming, uh, not always with moderation. Uh, I would say my, my two choices uh, would be actually anything which is really fine, fine grind, which could be Turkish or espresso. So recently I was kind of trying to, to investigate whether I can use Turkish coffee for espresso because I couldn't find espresso or the other way around. So um, since kind of we travel a lot and actually, you know, Europe and France, Italy, and then Israel and, uh, you know, the Middle East, you, you get these two flavors of fine grind, grind coffee, which is very strong. And I think that gives you some idea about my coffee habits. It's, it's having it strong. Gotcha. Um, strong in a lot of it, a lot of volume of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, it can be small shots, but still. Uh, the, the previous episode was with a, a Turkish microtonal guitarist. And so uh, it, it's funny to have the preferences be both very aligned. Um, but anyway, it's good to get a sort of window into who you are through uh, your relationship with my favorite beverage. But um, a lot of what I want to talk to you about today is uh, sort of algorithmic composition, computational creativity, and that type of thing. So um, to start off with algorithmic composition, uh, I have a sort of provocation, and that is the question of whether or not all composition is in some respects algorithmic. Um, is it, when we say algorithmic composition, is it more about the composer's awareness of the uh, sort of like instructions that they're implementing? Or, uh, I mean, is it just not useful to consider all composition algorithmic? Well, I, I think it's almost like asking whether, uh, you know, what we speak now language, is it algorithmic, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there is an algorithm somewhere, depending on how you, how you define algorithm. Um, and I would say that, um, um, you know, probably in the, no, in the notion of being very formal in the composition, um, yes, I mean, people, uh, some are more intuitive, some are more formal. But even in improvisation, I think there is an algorithmic aspect. It, it, it's just entrained. It's it's maybe not formal algorithmic in, in the way, you know, of, of the structuralist theories of composition that you, you design everything on paper and then you basically fill in the dots because you have a rule. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, th I think the name itself is super interesting uh, because algorithm is basically just, just a prescription. Right? Well, it's like making Turkish coffee. <laughs> you have to know how many how many cups you put and whether you boil it with <laughs> or take it out. But um, uh, and that um, that doesn't mean that you always have to stick to the same formal way of thinking, especially if we think about music, something that you know has an emotional aspect and has, uh, you know, imagination that we kind of don't tend to think that imagination is, is an algorithm because we imagine things that you 
we don't have recipes for, right? Otherwise, what mm -hmm. we need the imagination for, because it's planned for us, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so in that sense, uh, I think there is a slightly different concept, which kind of relates to whether it's algorithmic or machine learning. And maybe I don't want to have a very long answer, maybe a you know, follow-up question. But if you include an algorithmic stuff, which you're in some sense entrained to do, mm -hmm. which means uh, you have a sense of prediction, you have a sense of what is expected, what is not expected, uh, and you have some sort of a little man in your brain, I don't know, you know that can all, <laughs> pulling you towards Bayesian brain theories and stuff mm. like that. <laughs> but if you have some kind of a little something in the brain that, that uh, takes the evidence and has its own ways of computing it, uh, formal or less formal, uh, but it is an algorithm. So in some sense, uh, I didn't answer the question about composition in the sense of uh, whether all composition is, because I almost threw it to you a much harder question whether our consciousness is algorithmic. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, it's it meant as a provocation, <laughs> I think. Um, but I mean, I very much yeah. think that we are, you know, just physical algorithms uh, in meat suits. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm very on board with that. You're very reductionist, Dora. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, the, the record label I'm trying to make is called Physicalist Sound. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. but um, so, uh, I mean, you mentioned mechanical processes uh, in like the music of Zanakis and, uh, you know, Brian Eno and Steve Reich. Um, mm -hmm. and that so, was in our kind of exchange before, right? So right yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, uh, can you so, elaborate on um, those and how you see those fitting into this? Well, I mean, I think uh, when we talk about algorithmic composition today, you know, when we teach, uh, you know, I teach a class on uh, algorithmic composition or compositional algorithms, and, and there is a little semantic difference here. Um, but um, we tend to think about um, algorithms as uh, some kind of, uh, you know, just lines of code, if you want, or um, if you take a little cynical view at you know, what was the old AI, uh, even if it's it's supposed to represent um, you know, uh, something the human would do, right? These were long, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of computer scientists trying to, to, uh, to be cynical about previous computer scientists mm -hmm. saying like, you know, AI used to be long programs in Lisp, right? So uh, you write a lot of code, okay? And it executes something. Now, um, whether you do this uh, with formal grammars, health systems, you do this with genetic algorithms, but eventually you, you write some kind of a mechanical system, right? Uh, that uh, now starts spurring off uh, something that could be eventually rendered into sound, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, and this is kind of the old school algorithm composition, which kind of bothered me uh, when, uh, even though, as I said, you know, I do, I do cover this in, in classes, but it bothered me because it was kind of giving you two options, whether you go with um, abstract ideas, abstract music, which, uh, you know, I, and I, I don't want to be like, perceived as if I'm a little a critical. I mean, I was trained as, as a modern composer, <laughs> and, and and I find a lot of you know modern music, very abstract music, super interesting. Mm -hmm. It may be you know not the most communicative uh, music to um, 
a lot of people, but uh, once you get used to thinking about you know, sound that kind of emerges and doesn't have tonal structure, doesn't have rhythm, doesn't have melody, but has something else going on, you actually are engaged in it. It's, it's almost like looking at abstract paintings. You, you actually have to, you know, if you don't pay attention, if you don't invest into trying to uh, analyze what you hear, uh, you miss. But, um, but still, I mean, that was kind of limited to very particular type of approaches to music, right? Yeah. 12 tone music, abstract music, aleatoric music, John Cage. And, and of course, Xenakis with his formalist music was, you know, kind of put it on the table. It's like, you know, here is a way you can take mm-hmm. physical equations, you can run the processes and you generate music. Uh, and it had its, you know, his, the value was there because he, he always intentionally uh, was trying to create music that was not, you know, I don't know if that's a true reaction to uh, romanticism or World War II. Uh, Milan Kundera wrote about music of Xenakis that he loves it because actually, you know, the over-romantic music was kind of connotated with horrors of the Second World War. Right. But now you stand in front of massive sound and you admire it like you would admire you know, thunder, right? Nature, it's the power of nature, which is great. But that's a very specific one. But then, uh, if you think about people who can try to use processes in, in a less abstract way, and of course, Steve Reich has a lot of like you know, the phase kind of uh, it's phase music, Penguin music, and, um, and Brian Eno, you, you know, he has his algorithmic compositions, right? Music for airports. Uh, and, and now you have actually kind of chords and you have uh, ambient music. That is infinitely going, um, which is also super interesting. So I think now you can see that algorithms can, can create a large variety of musical styles. Um, but in some sense, they're always, I would say, there is stationary aspect. If you think about like statistics, mm-hmm. stationarity in statistics, you launch something, it keeps generating. Okay, it keeps generating textures. These textures could be total, these textures could be very abstract. You can have, um, uh, you know, leak these metronomes. You can see all kinds of synchronizations going in and out of sync. Uh, it's super exciting. But then the question is where is the human sudden intent? Mm-hmm. Because you let go, you let go of the music process. And, um, and then uh, you have this other algorithmic composition aspect where you actually write algorithms to imitate music which was written according to maybe more traditional man, you know, manual ways. Okay, mm-hmm. you look at David Cope and in his style imitation. But these now become expert systems, and these expert systems require a lot of coding mm-hmm. and. Uh, no, so there was this dilemma for me that, um, you know, unless you want to go with this um, texture, regardless of whether it's, you know, abstract or, or, or more tonal, ambient or uh, synacus like, uh, but if you want to build something that has structures, phases, you know, it has A, B, A, whatever, A, B, C, maybe theme and, and then counter theme and, and, and bridges and variations. Uh, this was, 
you know, you had to write a lot of rules for that. Mm-hmm. And and as a computer scientist, there's always this kind of a question or paradox, uh, kind of an Occam razor. I mean, is the algorithm the most efficient way to do it? <laughs> I mean, do you spend more ink <laughs> on writing the code than you would spend on writing the actual music, right? I mean, there is something conceptually very strange about writing um, um, code that, let's say, composes in the style of Prokofiev. If you have to encode huge amounts of data and write very long programs, that eventually, it's true that you can keep generating more and more examples, but usually it's done like as an experiment and, and, and you write a huge you know, chunk of code to generate uh, a prelude, and then you move to another composer. So, and you could have written this prelude yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why go through an algorithm? So I think this is where my interest in, in, in machine learning and AI came in, because uh, you can actually have today machines that find their own algorithms based on examples. And it kind of allows you actually to do a lot of uh, generative kind of uh, music but it's 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 not just a texture okay and it has a variety of styles and you could even do this uh you know what they call zero shot which means like you know it's true that most of the stuff done today with with all these neural networks has huge amount of data to train Mm -hmm. but um I mean, I'm mostly interested in, in systems that you can go on stage and you play into a computer and he finds like a small model of your own style and, and you can improvise with that. Mm-hmm. So it's an algorithm, but you don't write the algorithm. You, well, you write the system that now is able to find an algorithm to generate. And, and, and this now becomes a tool that you can start, you know, conversation, you can start creating conversation with. You can you can play with it. You can react to it. So um, uh, I think you know it was such a long answer that I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the question? Um, well, I, I guess I'm curious. Uh, you, know, you, you, I feel like you're hinting at something along the lines of like uh, Komogorov complexity or something like that. Uh, do you feel like the like the how parsimonious a system is affects how? like how it resonates for you aesthetically? Like, uh, do you want to know that there's a certain like ecology to the information processing? Does that uh, like land more for you mm-hmm. uh, as a listener? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's actually uh, an ex- it fits excellently into what I was thinking. Maybe it wasn't evident uh, because uh, as I said, listening to music um, has to be an active process, okay? And I mentioned this in the context of abstract music that we are not maybe so naturally processing that we are not aware of, but um, it all has to do with some way of us encoding, decoding information, right? So if an algorithm and Kolmogorov complexity would be basically counting, you know, um, the lines of code that would generate that music, right? But uh, it's also a good way to think about how, uh, you know, how complex the music is, okay? Mm-hmm. And whether you can write an algorithm that can now keep generating music from relatively short amount of code, right? Because if, if the code is super long, then maybe we're missing something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Kolmogorov complexity or, or Shannon complexity, which is more statistical, mm-hmm. I, 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 they're, they're very basic tools in, in the way I think about music because... Uh, 
uh, you can think about uh, questions of perception, questions of anticipation, the fact that when we listen to music, we do form some sort of an explanation in our head. Uh, that little man in the head is actually working hard in time to predict the next note. Or when we talk, right, you know, even, even, even though we're not, you know, we can try to demonstrate, you know, I can say something and stop in the middle and you will finish your sentence <laughs> finish continue guess whatever but, but there are only few check few few options right right mm -hmm. so in some sense you know while i'm talking you're completing what i'm going to think and that creates your own thoughts and that's your own imagination so the same way i think in music you, know, you play something but you already hear somehow a variety of options where music goes and and this creates um, you know, basically, um, uh, you know, this this idea of implication realization or rules theories or validation violation of expectation as, as, as a composition of truth. So um, whether you do this by learning, uh, well, I mean, I rather think about Shannon complexity rather than Kalmogorov complexity just because uh, it's very hard to find the program that does that. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's maybe more easier to build a statistical model than an actual, you know, fixed algorithm. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, but since we're using algorithms, we're using sometimes compression algorithms that come from other domains, which which are which are algorithms, which are uh, really uh, Kolmogorovian in the sense that. Uh, they actually perform a fixed sequence of operations to create some kind of code book that predicts the next uh, that you can then generate with. Uh, so we kind of use Kolmogorov complexity as uh, as a tool to generate or basically extract structure from data mm -hmm. and then uh, generate more data. And, um, uh, and I think in that sense, yes, I mean, uh, you're exactly to the point that being able to reason something out means that you have a simple explanation and, and, and how you measure the simplicity could be Kolmogorovian, yeah. Um, by the way, I, I want to also commend you on you know being the first person to say Bayesian uh, before me in uh, this, one of these podcasts. Uh, it took you know forty six or something episodes for somebody else to say it first. But uh, well, and, and this is about music, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, right, right. Yeah, the, I guess the idea of the brain being like a, an inference engine uh, is something that appeals to me, and uh, the way that you're using uh, computers to sort of do more of like an assisted thing where it's giving a prediction or sharing its prediction of what you're going to play. And then that allows the musician to adjust what they're playing. Um, that seems kind of in line with that. Would you say? Well, um, so I, I think in, in somewhere in your question, there is, there is an aspect of what is the actual musical use or application, right? So you can think about this as a, you know, uh, computer-aided composition, or you can think about this as an improvisation system. Uh, and just because of the nature of music making, they might be slightly different. Uh, but um, I think, uh, and then there is totally different application uh, which could be uh, evaluating, you know, the aesthetics of the piece or trying to 
uh, infer some some aspects. And uh, you know, of course, there is this field of, of music information retrieval where you want to label music, find it according to genres. I, I'm a little less interested in that, but um, kind of the musicological aspect of being able to analyze musical structure and predict where uh, you know surprise happens where there are some changes, even just segmenting, finding sections, and, and being able to uh, eventually maybe use it for something else, uh, either to generate or to analyze or explain our perception of music. All, all of these uh, methods, I think, um, do have a, 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 you know, a, a very strong mathematical kind of uh, aspect of this kind of Bayesian, if you want, because uh, you assume that there is some kind of a generative process. And that generative process, uh, we don't really, um, I, I don't want to say care about the details, because the details matter, of course, right? And eventually, you know, you write the composition, every detail matters. But um, when we perceive it, we, we, are, we are not we're, we're not tapes, we're not recording machines, right? Mm -hmm. We actually don't exactly hear every little detail. We have some kind of an abstract representation that, that, that happens in our brain, and you can call it inference because uh, we do uh, kind of uh, find simplified representations internally, and, and then we use them to predict the next step. Um, so, uh, I think that this whole process of uh, learning music, understanding music, and generating music has to go through these uh, steps of inference, and then maybe moving on to the second step. So, um, um, once we're okay with this idea that there is the musical surface, and, and this is not not any new new idea, you know, Schenker's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, analysis of music with, with the foreground and, and, and background uh, and ursatz and whatever, you know, the deeper structure. Mm -hmm. um, he actually pointed to the idea that, you know, if we analyze music, and it's true that his is kind of geared towards tonal music, but still, I mean, there's kind of level of structure, same as in language. Right? We have the grand idea, this idea maybe is broken into substructures, so if you, if you have word phrase and noun phrase or something like this, so in music, we don't have exactly the same equivalence, but we still have some kind of layers of structure that eventually realize themselves in the actual notes or sounds that we produce. Mm -hmm. But these kind of structures behind, you know, in the background, right? And these are kind of the, the latent representations. And, um, and then the question is, so how do you use them, okay? So you can think about um, using them as, as a sketchpad, right? Uh, and uh, this is what kind of a music meta creation talks about, that you don't care about the actual, it's composing about, you compose the composition, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Or you create the, you create the creation, um, like a, any kind of meta approach. Uh, but in, in that case, uh, or in any case, I mean, whether you do this offline or you do this in real time, uh, you still think about uh, this whole process of uh, inferring some, some level of structure and then going back from that structure and filling this in uh, and actually creating the, the, the next you know, segment, the next 16 bars of music. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, um, um, but again, you know, I sort of find myself losing losing track of the original question. No, no, I mean that's great. <laughs> I, I'm curious to see where your mind goes with it. Um, with the with the meta creation thing. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious: is that like I feel like a lot of people when they do the creative process, they're blending the mm -hmm. rendering process and the creative process. So it's like they're kind of like rendering as they go and figuring out as they go along. But then like if you're creating the creation, maybe, you know, it's more of a structurally oriented thing that then you can fill in the blanks um, according to whatever, uh, you know, process of rendering you want. Uh, is that on track at all? Um, well, I think very much. I mean, I mean, it, it even goes into more basic questions of what it means to be creative, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like, um, so um, um, you can say that meta creation is, is uh, you know, maybe the next step after deep fake. Gotcha. I mean, you have some generative process that you know can create images and create sounds. Uh, so of course, a lot of this is the actual algorithms that uh, are able now to uh, generate music from samples, okay? mm -hmm. and uh, maybe going back to um, you know, Xenakis or Eno, or maybe uh, they were, I would say fixed algorithms because they had, they created a lot of variations, but but kind of the the, the genre was set by mm -hmm. the algorithm. Uh, now you can actually uh, have much more flexibility and you don't have to write the code, it will it be learned by the machine. Uh, but, um, um, you know, with, with all this advancement, it still thinks about music as a texture, okay? So even if you, if you simulate, uh, unless you're able to provide some, some scenarios and constraint, if you don't have a way to control your generator, it might generate something that now looks very structured. Maybe it has a chord progression, has rhythm, and has melodies. There's still textures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're just much more complex textures, okay? Uh, same way as, uh, you know, you train GANs or whatever the neural networks on faces, mm -hmm. you, you would say, well, now it generates another celebrity face. Uh, okay, it's not texture, right? It had so much structure that it learned, but in some sense, it's texture. It's just a statistical <laughs> rendering. Yeah. You take noise, you, you, you're able now to create structure from noise in much more detailed way. Uh, but then again, we still, even though we moved step we, we, we are you know on the elevator of going from from something totally mechanistic to uh you know it goes with the question are, are we just uh, algorithms in, in flesh <laughs> right? but if if we do still kind of allow that uh, uh ambiguity of, of uh, the mind body problem you think that there is something that we have an intent right mm -hmm. uh so if we, we moved up on this, uh, uh, whatever, rocket or elevators to the sky of, uh, <laughs> um, uh, of, of spirit. <laughs> uh, so it's not totally mechanistic, but it's still a mechanism. Okay, it's, it's still texture, it's still a, a device uh, that um, maybe can generate a lot of variations. 
but it doesn't have an intent. And I think we will keep getting this feeling that we don't have the intent. The more we understand about ourselves, the brain, the signals, right? The more the machines become intelligent and creative, it will push our self-dignity in some sort of consciousness or, or the ability of intent further. You'll have to prove yourself on a higher level, but still meta-creation is still kind of assuming that now you want to specify the creative parameters. So how do you... Uh, delegate to the machine a lot of the processes of musical knowledge and musical skills, which before that would require you, you know, years and years of training. Mm-hmm. And now the machine can do this for you. But then you're still trying to be in charge. Or maybe uh, you will need to be able just to communicate with that machine, almost as with another musician. So you, you need just to create the language. Mm-hmm. But even that language is, is a meta creation because, you know, if you and I improvise, uh, there is a meta creation communication between us, right? Because, you know, I don't specify to you every note that you're going to play, and you know, I won't be able to guess every note you want me to play. But there is something creative going on, even in this conversation. Right? Mm-hmm, totally, there is some kind of a meta level going on. Um, and I guess if you listen to this later, you'll find out that, you know, a lot of you know, what I said was nonsense, <laughs> but I hope some meta ideas were still true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, like, I feel like a common saying that people have, which is like that uh, composition is spontaneous, or sorry, uh, improvisation is spontaneous composition. And I feel like that's a little bit of just like a buzz buzzword type, mm-hmm. uh, you know, saying, but um, it seems like, improvisation is very like front and center to you. Um, what about more like, you know, like the old days of computer music when it was more like you mm-hmm. ran the code for a day and then it, it plopped out the final product and there was no sort of in the moment connection. Um, is there mm-hmm. anything to be said for that type of thing too? Or like in your mind, is it just uh, far too fruitful to have the sort of uh, feedback of in the moment uh, co-creativity? Um, well, I think we're still in the process of trying to get to this co-creativity. Uh, um, I wish the improvisation was uh, mutual <laughs> in the sense that um, you know, controlling the, the machine um, is possible. So we want to, you know, we want to be able to drive these algorithms, guide them, and can be responsive in one way or another. But uh, unfortunately, uh, too often, it's the human who is interested in the machine, and the machine is not interested in the human. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it's funny because we might fear that. We actually maybe almost, um, you know, prevent the machine from finding its own interest in us because then we're really in the point that you have to convince the computer uh, that you're a worthwhile human being to be related to. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so I think, um, you know, this this level of autonomy, I mean, I th- you know, we have more and more autonomous computing today, right? And and if you, if you want to think about generative music systems, you delegate to them some creativity. So, and there is an aspect of autonomy there, but uh, you still want to have, you know, 
I'm not speaking about Asimov's rules of robotics <laughs> because mm. it's not going to hurt you, right? Mm, right. <laughs> Music, I mean, so uh, I think there's such, something much more deeper that we're still afraid to um, let, um, let our sense of control and some sort of uh, uh, superiority, <laughs> if I want to say, uh, yeah. over the machine. Okay. So, uh, and I think this is, this is actually a very interesting point because, um, you know, um, I'm involved now in, in an international project about uh, human-machine co-creativity. Uh, and I think one of the aspects that uh, somehow comes through, you know, experience and, and uh, working and also looking at, at musicians work with our algorithms today, um, that you can see, um, and of course it could be both ways. I mean, some people could be super excited and, 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 and be inspired by, by new ideas that the computer generates and they take them further. Mm -hmm. Some people might be super annoyed with that. <laughs> um, but uh, it's always the human reaction that matters mm -hmm. and not the machine's reaction. And then you feed something to the machine in the next phase and it will generate something else. You can specify some um, scenarios or meta control. So if you agree that you're going to improvise on some standard, the machine will please try to follow the same structure of chords. Then maybe you have some controls that you, uh, you know, you either manually control or maybe the machine can can extract some parameters um, and, and kind of be adaptive. But um, but really, what uh, what I feel is lacking is that. The human is not trying to impress the machine, so it doesn't demand him so much. Right? <laughs> okay. I mean, he's still maybe an instrument uh, of a higher level. So, mm -hmm. you know, even an improvisation agent, there is always this question whether it's a musical instrument or or it's 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 an agent or a compositional mm -hmm. tool, right? Uh, because we, we think about instruments as being something of we have almost total control and then as we go further you, you give up some level of control to the machine itself and these general algorithms are not exactly instruments but, but they're still i mean they're, they're texture generators of musical structure mm -hmm. uh, and, but still i mean the, the machine doesn't have any intent right we still want to control the machine we want it to be more adaptive more responsive and and we we're fine with letting go to some extent, but you know we we are the musicians. And uh, as any situation where you have somebody very dominating, uh, you know you you miss on something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you miss something on, on trying to understand the others. You know it it will not really create a discourse. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean if if if. Um, uh, if I don't really um, try to impress you or the audience or whatever, right? Um, and I'm just like, and maybe I'm doing this, you know, just, just with my own train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then in some sense, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever I have to do, I, I will do. And and, 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 uh, and I'll walk away and maybe I'll feel that, you know, oh, yeah, it was nice. He asked me the questions I wanted. <laughs> But no, it will not demand me. I mean, I'll don't. I will not be. The novelty will be limited. It will not push me towards something else. Okay, mm -hmm. because uh, you know, 
I will not discover something from, from that other agent, that other person that would make me change. And, uh, um, and I think that this is, this is like a philosophical question, really. I mean, uh, um, do we really want to be in a situation where we have agent musicians that can judge you <laughs> and they can be bored with you and they will <laughs> refuse to play with you because you're not to their standard? <laughs> right. Um, I, I get the sense that there's a, a concern among people about like a potential loss of authorship and like, you know, just people are concerned about kind of like, you know, these conventional uh, narratives about like AI taking over and, um, mm -hmm. and like, it, I, I don't get the sense that there's anything to be concerned about, but I mean, are you concerned about losing your authorship as a composer because too much of it is being done mm -hmm. by a machine? Like, uh, I feel like that's a, a kind of. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. philosophical thing to dissolve. Well, it's interesting, and and, and uh, early on when people were kind of considering algorithmic composition, if you kind of want to go and relate this to the beginning of our conversation, people say, "Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't write that. I didn't write, you know, the music, but I wrote the algorithm, so I can own the algorithm, right? So you can have all, all always you can have authorship, right? Uh, but um, I mean, uh, I think we're beyond that question of uh, assigning rights. Mm -hmm. uh, and not because it's not important. I mean, I think assigning rights also has to do a lot with the, with, with the musical, whatever, the, the ecosystem of, well, basically, the, 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 you know, composer has to make a living. <laughs> so he wants to produce something that uh, has a value. So I'm not saying put an NFT on every... <laughs> computer generated yeah. <laughs> sequence uh, but uh there is there is that that aspect that i'm not going into right because in loss of authorship might might maybe translate to loss of income mm -hmm. all right and so maybe there are other models um, you know business models of music are actually i think very much part of uh, also music making in, in in some weird way but we we have to be aware of that because if uh if there is no way for you to and you know in this case i'm kind of uh ivory tower is really luxury sorry <laughs> i know that uh, i i i have the privilege of oh, no no I, I earn my my living from from teaching and, and whatever and, and research right but um <laughs> i it's 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 a very very protective environment frankly uh, but if you're a composer or, or any kind of uh, a creator or practitioner of, of, of field where you're, you're not living on taxpayers' money, mm -hmm, right. <laughs> well, let's be sincere, or you don't have huge endowments, somebody else uh, like got in a private university, uh, and you have to sell every product that you do, uh, and this, this becomes uh, an issue, right, right, in authorship, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I do believe that, you know, there are ways, there will be ways to monetize on what you do regardless of the authorship problem. Mm -hmm. So having, having said that, let's go back to maybe other aspects of authorship and that's kind of the authenticity of, of that piece. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a different question. Um, because if this is something that... Uh, has has no father, no nobody kind of taking responsibility, or maybe uh, it's done in a mechanized ways. And if that, and if you don't assign 
uh, entity, right? Um, or sort of like, you know, if you don't want to think about your computer as, 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 a, as, as a living organism that, that, mm-hmm. that can claim authorship, right? And then basically it's it's just a mechanical piece of, of uh, production, right? Uh, and so um, my only way to think about this is a little bit referring back to, you know, um, uh, what Walter Benjamin said about uh, mechanical reproduction, right? Well, now if you can reproduce music by or reproduce art by or photography or print or uh, recording, right? What is the value of that piece? And now we are in a situation of, uh, you know, art not in danger of reproduction, art in danger of computer generation, right? Mm-hmm. So you now can generate a lot of art. Uh, so whether the aura, you know, that, that idea that a piece exists in a specific place and specific time, you have to basically put an effort to go and see it. And does that create more value to this work than something that you can basically, you know, uh, maybe go down the store and buy a record or now download this on, on, on your whatever mm-hmm. uh, iTunes or whatever Spotify streaming, uh, or maybe you have an algorithm that keeps generating new music. Uh, does that mean that this music or this art is less valuable? Um, no, I don't think so. So I don't think you have to, the value of, of the piece of art is not really related to authorship. Mm-hmm. I think the authorship is, is more how, how the person engaging in, in art creation is, uh, compensated for his effort. <laughs> really? <laughs> and of course, there is also an aspect of pride, right? But you know, okay. Okay. Designing credit is easy. <laughs> Paying for it is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so, I, in that sense, uh, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting question. It's an important question because I think it also has to do with with uh, the whole musical business, mm-hmm. which is altered by the way technology, um, you know, in some senses, um, leading, modifying, changing, or I mean, it, it it's really deep deeply involved in the process of music making from every step from from, from synthesizing sounds to recording to editing to delivery to, to recommendation systems and now uh, actually the composition part right so mm-hmm. um so i mean it changes it changes the way music is done and it changes the way music is consumed it changes the way uh, you know artists make their living and and how um uh, people learn to appreciate art uh, and uh, maybe maybe it's ubiquitous. Maybe there is a proliferation to a point of some saturation. I mean, these are all dangerous and they're valid dangerous because I think uh, much more concern for me is not the authenticity or the authorship of the specific piece in the composer. And I know that a lot of my composer colleagues will totally disagree with me <laughs> because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like I would say uh, the authorship on all my also on a scientific paper, it doesn't matter. And it actually doesn't. I mean, I mean, it's important for, for career, for, 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 for uh, you know, uh, people know, you know, that you're out there, you, you, you get more opportunities, you get funding from, from other research grants or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, 
the, the quality of, of the research paper is not determined by the name on it. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. whether, whether it does. So, so, so the musical result also, you know, and, and in science, it is pretty acknowledged that, you know, if you didn't come with this idea, very likely somebody else will come up with a very similar idea and the idea that matters. In music, we sort of think that, of course, every musician has his own voice and you have to develop and we teach this mm -hmm. to the students that you have to develop your own personal voice. But uh, I mean, if you had some kind of a new artistic idea, the way new way of looking at the world, a new way of expressing what you feel, what you think other people, you know, how they behave, you, you know, that, this kind of latent, <laughs> this kind of a deeper understanding of the world, how you express it in music. I guess if you don't come up with this, you know, frankly, it's true. Okay, Picasso. You know, Invented cubism? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure there were some some examples before, and you can formalize it. But if it wasn't him, I'm sure somebody else would have come with very similar ideas. And what matters is the cubism, and not that Picasso invented it. So, right. Yeah. So I think yeah, that, that's kind of um, take on, on the question of authorship as this. Gotcha. I think we, we need we need to find ways to. Um, to allow people to make art and, and make their living from art, because I think it is very important. Totally. And uh, yeah, um, uh, there's a bunch that I want to uh, sort of mm -hmm. dig deeper into there, but mm -hmm. I also want to uh, get to a few extra topics before we run out of time. Um, sure. Uh, I, I'm just curious in terms of the research front. Uh, like, I'd like to hear a little bit about your research on the sounds of COVID, but also, um, are there any particularly fruitful areas of research that you'd like to see? Uh, sort of taken on by, uh, you know, uh, any sort of researcher in this domain? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the sounds of COVID, uh, we uh, we did this work, we published it um, in, um, what is the, Spring Year Nature, Computer Science. Uh, it was, uh, um, you know, a need of, of, of that moment. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It came actually as uh, as another take on a few previous works where we used very much similar techniques where we tried to analyze uh, or, or um, um, categorize, I would say, music uh, for emotions. Okay. Uh, and uh, the idea was that... Um, Again, uh, you know, and there's still people working on this. I don't know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I think today the question of COVID uh, with all its variants, and I don't know how much of this is being monitored by, uh, by voice, but uh, at the time of, you know, the, the pandemic, when, you know, the peak of the pandemic, uh, and there were, you know, people were desperate for, for finding ways of uh, quick and, and cheap, mm -hmm. Um, and diagnostics. So, uh, so definitely, you know, uh, voice that is uh, infected by COVID ha had some slightly um, slight variations on, on the timbre or the texture. But uh, unlike, let's say, words that uh, try to recognize uh, speakers or recognize musical instruments where you have sort of like an overall stable pattern of how the frequencies are spread or the energies of the frequencies are spread or there is some kind of spectral uh, signature. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, the effects were much more subtle. And uh, the effects were statistical. And so what we actually tried to do was um, um, look at the dynamics of the signal. And, 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 and as I said, as I mentioned, we did before uh, much more modest work where we tried to see if um, uh, emotional vocalizations or emotional performances on, on musical instruments, because you can play the same, you know, the same tone uh, in an aggressive way and, and, and in, in a much more uh, mellow or, or uh, happy way. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's the same timbre, there's something about the little deviations, the little changes in between the frequencies and how they're related that um, that we thought you know, could could be an indicator. In very, uh, it's it's a little bit far fetched to say that this is related to the concept of uh, anticipations, but it's really finding some dynamics and structures. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in music, uh, actually, there is a tool that is uh, pretty powerful, and it, also the visualization is is, is uh, very telling, and that's uh, so called cell similarity. You know, if, if you take a musical piece and you, you analyze this with some features, okay? mm-hmm. and then you try basically to see, of course, you need to have some kind of a matching of distance between features, right? But then, you know, if you if you have this sequence of features and you and 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 you, and you basically compare every every instance in the piece to all the other instances in the piece, you can create this self-similarity matrix, which will actually show you um, if it's done correctly. Uh, either repeating blocks because if there's a bunch of similar sounds here and there that will repeat. Yeah. Also, if there are melodies, you know you can see these kind of lines that that, that go in uh, back and forth. Uh, and people were using this to analyze structures and analyze musical form. Um, so we did this on a very micro level, okay. And one of the problems with these approaches is that, yeah. Uh, uh, your self-similarity structure uh, really depends on uh, how you measure the distances. And, and basically, uh, you need somehow, if you think about this as, as a picture, uh, you have to play with uh, uh, basically the brightness. Okay. So, so you, you basically, so, some things have to stick out and others have to go back. Because, if, I mean, you would say that you know uh, finding this it's very noisy so, so, so finding the structures in, in in this image is very hard on this uh, self-similarity metrics now in physics people use this and they call this recurrence plot okay, okay. but basically it, it does look at if you think about trajectories or chaotic uh, uh, signals uh, it actually tries to see when some kind of a trajectory repeats itself it doesn't have to be in perfect ways or strange structures or stuff like that. You can see them in these plots. And then uh, and once you have this plot, uh, you can actually extract statistics. So it's the statistics of the repetitions. It's not the statistics of the signal. You first go to okay. the signal, you create the, the self-similarity, and then you extract statistics. And these were the features we classified. So I got into a very technical uh, discussion, but it was surprising that we kind of had, had the tool. <laughs> and uh, I was aware of uh, you know, uh, other people and I have colleagues who were also working in, in this field and some of them, you know, uh, their companies and startups now that actually do 
all kinds of vocal uh, diagnostics for medical purposes. Mm-hmm. And there was a big initiative of collecting these things. So, so there was the data. We had this tool. So it kind of started with, oh, well, you know, we want to help somehow. We think we have a new idea. <laughs> we think we can mm-hmm. actually uh, get some kind of, you know, dive deeper into the texture of the sounds of the vocal sounds affected by copy. Uh, and I think this was, uh, at least to me, a very interesting uh, experience and kind of pointing to the fact that, you know, as musicians, we are very sensitive to detail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and our conversation was a little bit going between, oh, okay, do we need these abstract representations or do we care about the detail? But yeah, we are sensitive to detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While in, 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 in many other applications, like, you know, uh, uh, um, speaker recognition or like temper recognition, you want to have these rough categories, but you don't really look at the small deviations and the small noises. And and we had some of these tools because we we're interested in music. And uh, we actually plugged in the voice into the same algorithm that we use to analyze music and eventually for, for generative purposes, for improvisation. Of course, we do this on a much smaller scale. And with this model, we were able to detect repetitions. And, and with these repetitions, we actually tried to characterize uh, and, and then train a classifier, uh, whether it's covered or not. But I think our contribution was not in the classifier, but in the fact that our features were really trying to find Tiny motives <laughs> in the voice of code. Yeah. That's very funny. So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Um, I guess uh, before we uh, uh, ran out of time, uh, are there any open questions in uh, your field that you would like to like see addressed um, unrelated to COVID? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. First of all, uh, you know, I hope. Uh, you know, and it's amazing how the world changes from, from one disaster to another. So I hope other disasters that go on now will settle down. And I don't have any solutions to, to them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I hope uh, people will be playing more music and maybe finding some common uh, ground between, you know, that's, that's amazing. Because if you look at a lot of conflicts and you look at the music of people involved in these conflicts, and the music is very much common. <laughs> Well, why do you fight? You know, if you play the same music, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe, but then maybe they're sensitive to very little differences for <laughs> us, <laughs> and they're willing to to, to go horrible uh, about this. So uh, I think uh, my only, yeah, the only thing to address is really maybe people should focus more on, on music uh, and, and and the fact that you have to perform with many other people in some coherence mm-hmm. and invest the energy there rather than in, in other forms of uh, human activity um but um you know we didn't have much you know <laughs> didn't have much time to kind of pick on your brains <laughs> and, and see what you know what you're interested in so maybe you would like to like, have a kind of a closing statement well, about um, you know the state, state of the composition or how you perceive it yeah um i mean I don't know if I have any closing statement to give, but um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to have you back sometime to talk more about uh, consciousness and uh, sort of like the, the ideas that uh, you know, like you know, the brain is a musical instrument rather than a digital computer, um, that type of stuff, or just you know, digging more into like stylometry and that type of style transfer work that you've done. But um, 
Yeah, very interesting stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, mm -hmm. we'll have to talk more about algorithmic composition because uh, yeah, I'm getting to this point now where uh, like I, I, I generated like uh, basically like an album and then the next day I generated another one that was better with less effort. And uh, I feel like, you know, that's that's interesting and that opens up a lot of doors and a lot of people have an aversion to that because they're so interested in uh, having the authorship. But at the same time, it's like, shouldn't we be creating more art that's better and like looking at on the meta level and trying to, you know, uh, do the meta creation type thing that you're talking about. So I don't know. Um, that's, I guess, where my so, mind so, is. So, so that, you know, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, but it's the elimin el eliminativist, right? That's how you pronounce mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. As in a, is the, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, you know, referencing the Daniel Dennett sort of school of thought mm -hmm. uh, for consciousness. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you have any uh, credences in terms of theory of mind that you want to mention real quick, but um, no, be, no. Besides the Bayesian Bayesian brain, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that I, I will keep all. No, maybe we'll keep it for the for the next next uh, session. That sounds good. <laughs> the theory um, of mind. Yeah, I'll, I right. can share with you uh, the spreadsheets that have gone into my process, though, because uh, <laughs> they're relatively dumb compared to the uh, intelligent machines that you seem to be operating with, but. Uh, anyway. I don't know, I try, I'm trying to make very dumb machines. I mean, really, I mean, <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that they're dumb and they're doing great things that at least look great to us, uh, I think this is, this is a very, very interesting question about the philosophy of mind. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, maybe they're huge, maybe they do like approximations and functions and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I mean... <laughs> Well, our brain is also has a lot of neurons. Doesn't make it smart. <laughs> well said. All right. Well, um, All right. I'll let you get out of here. Uh, Shlomo, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, I'll talk to you. Thank in the you, future. Joe. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you.